Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, guys. We'll get to film study in just a minute, but I got to share this with you. You know what that sound is? It's the sound of me opening up a fresh can of Liquid Death. Make sure you guys check out Liquid Death. I love it. I've been drinking a ton of it lately. There's something magical about it. Somehow the water in a can just seems colder than any bottle I've used before. Make sure you're checking out Liquid Death. Pick it up next time you're at the grocery store. I love it. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Let's take a moment to thank our sponsor, Liquid Death, the water that will brutally murder your thirst. We have a great show for you today. First of all, big Ravens win uh, against the Bengals. Obviously, a, a, a nice comeback there at the end. 
but even more fun today. We're going to talk about the offense, and we're going to do it with my friend Michael Crawford. Michael, how you doing? Hey, Ken. I'm doing well. Life is good, as you like to say. Can't complain. How are you? No complaints, as, as you said <laughs> for me. But, but thank you, Michael. That's uh, always this good uh, uh, setup thing. Uh, you are at Abukari on Twitter, A-B-U-K-A-R-I. Yep, that's still me. Um, still doing the Deep Cover podcast with Kerry uh, Stevenson and Chris Aguilera. Back for another season doing the Fire Zone show with Denard Melton. So um, both of those shows have their own Twitter handles, at Deep Cover Pod at the fire zone show so you can follow them and interact with them there and then um we don't do video shows as much as we used to unless there's something on film we really want to do so we're not on youtube as much but anywhere you get your podcast you can find both of those make sure you give those a try those those guys are all potential guests on this show i, I love to talk football with any of them they've had me on as a guest which i really appreciate guys and uh, uh you know they're always welcome of course to talk football here uh a lot more fun Talking after a win and with sole possession of first place uh, than it has been after these first two home games, which have been devastating. Ravens blew a a 10-point lead for the third consecutive game at home, which is not a good thing. I think we'd agree. Definitely. That's good. I'm I'm preparing myself. I'm mentally locked in for what what I need to do here. Um, But no, look, I I think – uh, you reached out to me about doing this before the season, maybe. I don't think it had started. So uh, I lucked up, right, into to being able to, to talk about a win, like you said, and uh, one that put them in sole possession of first place in the, in the division thus far. So uh, been fortunate that way the last couple of years. Went to the first game I went to last year was the Chargers game. Mm-hmm. We got to see a blowout. There was, it was between two games. We were going to go to that one or the Bengals game the following week. And we the Chargers game. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that worked out well. And then obviously looking into, you know, this 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 show has gone well. But, yeah, the 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 leads um, that they've been building are great. I, we've been talking about this uh, on the, those other shows that I do. And just I think throughout the Ravens fan base it's like on the one hand, you love that the offense is getting these leads. Right. Great place to be. It's exactly where you want to be. But not being able to kind of hold on to them. Uh, fortunately, this one, you know, didn't didn't go as bad as some of the other ones that have gone. But it is something that uh, it's been an adjustment for me because obviously you have a new defensive coordinator. Everybody knows that. But I think there's even a little bit of a, not a little bit, there's a philosophical change to some of the things that they're doing on defense. And it's a bit of an adjustment uh, for me. In addition to, you know, just learning a new defense and the communication and some of the mistakes, all you know, all those kinds of things. In addition to that, I think there's a little bit of a different approach uh, to what they're doing in some of these situations and uh, maybe going to lend itself to more yardage allowed. Uh, but it's kind of, you know, keep everything in front of you, rally up, tackle the ball, yep. which sometimes can be a challenge. Uh, <laughs> but in theory, uh, that's what you want to do. And in the modern NFL, it might kind of be what defense looks like. Aside from like the elite defenses, there's some really good defenses in this league who don't give up a ton of yardage or a lot of points, but mm-hmm. you know, by and large, this, this could be a little bit of what it looks like. Although I'm not saying that this defense is a finished product by any stretch of the imagination. Ravens are one of those defenses though, in the middle of the pack that has to figure out what they're good at, that they can maximize as opposed to being good at everything. I think we're, we're, we probably are, are pretty secure about that. Uh, what, what really bothered me about the first three losses is that the dime defense let them down. And this is a group um, that was made to play, Loose zone on the back end. A lot of it, honestly, is Hamilton being out of position on a few plays. It doesn't take too many. 
just a few plays to be to be to be out of position and uh, all of a sudden Hill's got a 60 yard touchdown down the left side and uh, you know I, I don't know if he was really supposed to help on the touchdown the 48 yard touchdown of Peters that went the other direction against Miami but he was he was back there and he chose to to help on an underneath route uh, but and then he had the pass interference in this last game of course but it's it's a uh, this defense is supposed to be able to sit back and generate turnovers. They are made for tipped balls, which they've had some of. They are made to to collect the football. They've had some opportunities. Uh, Patrick Queen, until this last week, let him down on three consecutive turnover opportunities, two interceptions, potential interceptions, and one on the ground for a fumble. This week, had his hands in the right place, apparently did a lot of work on the jugs gun, seemed to be a point of emphasis. I really hope that's a good turnaround because uh, that was the best play of his career by a wide margin. Um, you know, it was, it was a, uh, play where, where not, okay, let's go over this because we're, it's an offensive show, but we're going to talk this much defense. Patrick Queen, this is the first two interception opportunities. The first one tip ball came right to him, dropped it. Okay. I think that was the first one. Was that the second one? The, the, the other one, I will just say 98 yard step in front of a flat route on the yeah. outside to, yeah, yeah. to, to run that back. Now that's a really good pass defense move, but it's not a play behind you. It's a, yeah. still a play in front of it. So tip ball, dropped it, made a good play on the ball in front of him, dropped it, but could have had a pick six. And then this last week, didn't have the play at all, you know, bailed out on uh, to, to, to go back to the spot. And my immediate reaction is we've never seen this player before. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is this is a guy who doesn't normally know what's going on between level two and level three, has a tough time reading the quarterback, a lot of those things. Not only is he in the spot, he gets his hands out front of his face mask because that had – that had bounced off the face mask written all over it. Mm-hmm. That that ball did. And he he caught it far enough away from his mask that he was able to collect it. Didn't have to tip it to himself before he uh uh you know risked that contact occurring. Yeah, it was one of those plays where it reminded me of something you'd see from Josh Bonds, you know. And like you said, you, you haven't seen much uh of that, if, if any of that. Um maybe there was a game in 2020 against the Eagles where he dropped one similar. I can't, I don't think that was a tip. Maybe that was a step in front play too. I'm, I'm, I'm blurry on that one. Um, but this one, and it's something that I got to give credit to Denard. I mentioned Denard Milton earlier because he he kind of focused me on this. He said, look, when you watch Bynes, not only does he have better awareness of what's going on behind him, as you would expect for a guy who plays as many years as he's played, but he said he understands where the offense wants to throw the ball in terms of landmarks on the field. He said, look, if you will drop and get your depth, right, whatever that yardage might be for the defense that you're in, and you get to the hash marks. Don't start drifting too far off the hash. You might be able to get two yards plus or minus inside or out, but don't get too far in between because then that ball's going the opposite way, right? But if you can hug that hash, that's typically where they want to throw that ball. And if you can be just anywhere near it, you're going to have an opportunity to react and make a play. Yeah, and Denard's an ex-linebacker himself, if I recall correctly, and definitely is a guy who would understand the ability not only to take away that route, but also to scissor in. And if you ever hear the quarterback not reading the play correctly, it's oftentimes a defender scissoring in from the other side who takes away that that uh, 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 throwing lane he's got. And, and, you know, Joe Flacco, I never saw that guy. I never saw that guy. Well, you know, it, it, you have to look in front of the thing, just not look at your own receiver. And and the, there's, a, there's a tremendous risk that quarterbacks take usually watching the trailing cover guy and making sure they just outthrow him. So they're trying to calibrate their pass so closely to outthrow the trailing cover guy that they uh, miss the other guy who's the much bigger threat. Yeah, I think we saw that. Uh, you mentioned Flacco. We might even, 
was it the second or the first Browns game last year? What was the game where Lamar had like four or five IMDs? Yeah, that's the that's the Browns. At there home. was one of those yeah. there where it was like you could tell he didn't see the guy. Like yeah. you said, he was really more focused on the trail defender, didn't see the other guy coming across to cut that route. Uh, it happens. You know, we, we, we've seen it uh, with those two guys and a bunch of other quarterbacks as well. But seeing Patrick Queen make that play, just you you probably remember. I'm a, I'm a Patrick Queen apologist. This goes back to the draft night show uh, with that big team that we were on together. So I'm still in the tank. I haven't let go, just like I did with Rashad Perriman. I hang on for too long. That's that's what I do. Well, we, we can both hope that this is the big turnaround. I mean, you know, this this has the potential to be something. There's there's there are some other elements that still need to get cleaned up, but yeah. but this has the potential to, uh, to to be a really positive step forward. I mean, he, he has improved in terms of where he's been in coverage, yeah. and you've seen that on the dropped interceptions. Uh, at least two of the three. Uh, I'm sorry, two of the three total opportunities we've seen it in. He's you know he's in the right place too on the fumble in terms of of jumping on the football, just didn't collect it. Yeah. Um, that, uh, you know, are good things. But, but anyway, we, we, we're nine minutes in here and we need to talk defense. Sorry, <laughs> offense. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So the return of Ronnie Stanley, of course, the big news uh, from this game, uh, it could be a drastic upgrade for the offensive line. Daniel Falele, there's a lot of backpedaling, semi-positive adjectives being used. In particular, Harbaugh used, what, what was the adjective he used? Viable. Mm. Okay. <laughs> nothing says nothing says <laughs> you know the only thing i really need to be viable is when i'm going for a fertility clinic other than that <laughs> i don't want to hear viable attached to my name at all no probably not a very uh you know uh, confidence inspiring adjective when you hear that uh <laughs> i missed that by the way so i'm reacting to that for the first time i did not know that you know he 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 is the man who has some unique adjective choice at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not, that, doesn't, that doesn't give me a warm and fuzzy. No, and, and when he does it, uh, when he takes the time to go out of his way on an adjective, when he doesn't just give you a party, like, yeah, he's great. He's, he's really looking good in practice. He's really worked hard. He's really blah, 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 blah. Th- that's coach speak. You can throw that away right away. When he goes out of his way to find an adjective, and remember the, the thing he did with Chuck Clark was he was bold, brilliant, and brief, I think. It was, it was three B words anyway, yeah. and 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 he had it. That was before he they solidified that the green dot was going to be staying with him at some point. Might have been. No, I, I think I think the green dot it wasn't it wasn't this year, so it was before. So it, but but it, it related to what Clark was. And it's the kind of thing. There's no need to go out and say that unless you really mean it. Okay, he's he's gone out of his way to pick those words and to, and to talk about it. So if if you're really trying to read the subtext of an interview, you know something like that means something. The word viable it means something. Whether whether it's positive or negative, it means something because you don't pick it otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they did have Falili active as a fourth tackle for this game, which I which I found kind of interesting. Yeah, I was surprised to see that as well. Uh, once the word was kind of leaked, and I guess it was was it Friday, either Friday or Saturday, would leak that Ronnie was definitely gonna go. Um, in the game and you knew that Makari was back because he had practiced all week. And I was like, wow, what are they going to do with with Falalele? And sure enough, he was, he was also active and (laughs) it was interesting to see. Uh, But uh, you know, it was interesting that period of time. And then I was wondering what was going to happen. I knew Ronnie was going to come back. I mean, I know people were still continuing to be a little bit reluctant because it's like, Oh, he's still close. Oh, it's still up to him. Oh, you know, street clothes. All of the stuff that people were saying about him, I knew he was going to come back. It was just a matter of when. And I didn't think it was going to be too much longer. And it happened to be this week. Uh, 
But I was I, I was interested to see what was going to happen once he did. I did not foresee a rotation. I did, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that I, mm-hmm. I foresaw that happening. Uh, it was an interesting choice. I'm typically not a big fan of that. I understand why they did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it, it's difficult. I think it's got to be difficult on those guys to play under those circumstances. Breaks down continuity. Yeah, I, I I completely agree. I think it it does make it difficult. I think, you know, the, the Packers apparently have done some of that with Bakhtiari, yeah. uh, and bringing it back. And so there, there's a little bit of that going on. Um, the Ravens did that at a bunch of positions in this game. It wasn't just left tackle. It was a bunch of positions on defense. A slot corner, outside linebackers played less. Queen came off the field. Uh, you had two you know two different guys rotating at slot corner. Uh, defensive line had more a deeper set of rotations because I think they were worried that the Cincinnati would run up a big snap count and Campbell might get tired. Mm-hmm. So Campbell still ended up with the most snaps, but but it wasn't as many. Uh, and then of course they've only got one true nose now, so you know they're they're, they're worried a little bit about who's on the field probably for that. Um, fortunately, it didn't end up Cincinnati didn't run all that many snaps, fifty nine in the game, but uh, but they did a lot of rotation at multiple positions. So it wasn't just left tackle. And if that's a general organizational philosophy, I'm all for it. I, mean, I think it's it's a it's a positive thing. That said, um, the Ravens need Ronnie Stanley back as the one and only left tackle ASAP still. Yeah, and hopefully, I don't know what the plan is for the rotation, if it was just a first game back thing, if it's going to be a, a sort of phased in thing where we're, we're going to do it a little bit more and maybe the second game, you know, we'll do it, but maybe we'll do a little bit less than we did it in the first game. Or if it's just going to be, Hey, that was the first game thing. Second game. Now you're back. I don't know what that plan is, but where would you do, put your money? I probably put my money on them doing it again in this next uh, game. Uh, again, with, with Stanley moving up to maybe 50% of snaps or again, with Stan- Stanley still playing a third of the snaps. No, moving up, moving up. Uh, what that percentage is, that's, you know, it's hard for me to say, but I think it'll 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 move up. But yeah, I can see it. I can see him doing it again. All right, we'll get to the offensive line scoring in a little bit. I want to kind of move the show along here and say, uh, you know, the running game getting going uh, in a broader sense was nice. So Lamar has a three to one advantage in rushing yards over anyone else on this team right now. Uh, I believe Dobbins has one twenty five and he has three seventy four. I believe and he's mm-hmm. led the led the team in rushing in every game except for the first when he lost 31 to 17 to Drake. So it wasn't like that was a big uh, overwhelming running back performance then either. Um, I think it's, it's nice. It's obviously nice to have Dobbins back and and playing more. And they've there. That's another position where they've done a little more rotation than we might've expected given the quality number one guy they had. Uh, And uh, they've uh, also got a little bit more out of Drake this week. Obviously he's been a healthy scratch the last two weeks. Yeah, and certainly uh, they've been doing more <clears throat> more rotation there than what J.K. wants. Certainly, he's he's mm-hmm. been <laughs> pretty clear that he's not happy about that. Uh, but you know, he's one of those kinds of guys where they have to kind of protect themselves a little bit because uh, obviously you want J.K. for the long haul. Uh, I, I I mean, you know, it's I know both sides of that coin, right? If you, if you don't have your best people out there now, there won't be a long haul, uh, not one that matters. Uh, <laughs> but you also want to have your best guys so that when you are in that position. Uh, they're not dinged up because you maybe put a little bit too much on their plate as they were coming back at the beginning. So it's a balance. I understand that. It's a it's a delicate balance. And obviously he's a competitor, um, you know, back to when he first came back to practice. And they're like having to tell him, hey, man, you can't <laughs> you can't be out here yet. We're not ready for that yet. They got to like talk him down. So, you know, he's that kind of guy. Uh, but in terms of the running game, I mean, yeah, I it's something that because I charted um, 
I might get into it a little more deeply than kind of your average fan. Mm -hmm. And so initially I'm thinking much more deeply folks. Let me just let you out there. (laughs) Uh, Did you guys put out a second year of the full charted Um, running? We did have not done it. No, no, we did it that one year in 2019 and that was it. 2019 or 2020? I thought it was 2020 that didn't click Oh, you know, okay, I know what you're talking about. So we did 2019 under the Russell Street Report sort of brand. And then 2020 was me and our friend Yoshi, 2052. Yep. Uh, and he created uh, that Shiny app. Yep. And, you know, we were able to do things. But so, yeah, no, we, we haven't done that. We, just, uh, okay. we didn't do it, it last year. Okay, so that does that uh, app still exist somewhere? Because people should be going to take a look at that if it is. Maybe it does. That's a good question. I'd have to check okay. with him on that. We'll we'll figure it out, and we'll we'll try and uh, try and put it out of there. Maybe with the promo for the show, if we uh, if we get that. In fact, hit me up. I'll promo okay. the show. You hit me up with that in the as a as a uh, retweet. Okay. Uh, but that, that's a, a, the point I'm making is that Michael not only does extraordinarily uh, run game charting and it, charting in general, he's perfectly capable. He's a scouting academy guy, but uh, he did this great run game charting that is universal in its review of the 2020 season, meaning every every play is charted by type. And uh, it's the the app that uh, Yoshi put around it uh, basically allows you to sort and sift however you would like to look at only certain plays. Now, you don't I don't think you get the video of those plays directly, but you get the results of those plays. Um, that's just outstanding. So uh Terrific project you guys worked on. I, I, I'm, when when I talk about good analytics projects, that's one I really point to. Uh, well, we appreciate that, of course. Thank you, Ken. And it's funny you mentioned the video piece because that was something that he was beginning to incorporate um, in 2021. And we didn't do it for all of the plays. I want to say he did it for, it might not even been a full game because I think he was just trying to test it to see how it would work. And I think he got something that was workable and then ran into some kind of bug problems and we kind of got away from it. But uh, that was always the vision is that it would be. Uh, so I had the data. He knew that. But it's it's not super digestible. I don't think. I mean, obviously, it is for me because I've been doing it since 2018. But for you know fans out there who just want to say, hey, I just remember this play. I know it was J.K. Dobbins. I don't know about all the pullers and all the other stuff, but I know it was him. Now, some people might know that and say, OK, I want to look at it that way. So to your point, you could filter it in all these different ways. And then he started linking the video to that specific play. And I was like, this is it. This is the vision. This is what we want. Mm-hmm. And so typically we we have to spend more time on the, the, the construction of it. And by we, I mean, mostly him uh, <laughs> doing that in the off season, because during the season, uh, we're both busy doing various projects. That guy, man, if, if people only knew, I mean, people see the stuff he tweets about with his uh, player participation charting, like right after the games and some of the other stuff that he does. He's done a special team. Persistent uh, participation stuff this year. I mean, he does a ton of stuff. Uh, most of my stuff, though, like I said, I've been doing it since 2018. And so I just don't do it uh, to publish it, which seems weird. But I just do it for my own <laughs> like education. But yeah, this year, anyway, that's that's where I was trying to get to with this whole thing. This year, what I tried to tell myself going in was, hey, kind of level set your expectations. You've got five guys here on the offensive line who have not worked together in a regular season game. Right. Yeah, they probably got some practices together for sure, but they didn't play together as a unit in the preseason. Not that five. Right. Components of it, but not together during the preseason. Uh, And so I tried to give myself that because, you know, better than anybody, you've been scoring offensive line for many years. Continuity is almost king. It's paramount Mm -hmm. uh, on the offensive line. It's communication. It's that that verbal and nonverbal of understanding what the guy next to you is going to do when certain things happen or don't happen. 
um, you know, that just takes time to develop. So I was telling myself that because you're watching early on and I'm seeing missed assignments, you know, and and I think what happens in Greg Roman's running game, because it's complex. I mean, you hear guys who played in it, whether it's on the offensive line or, you know, the tight ends that Boyle has talked about this before. It's complex. There's a lot to learn. Right. There's not just the core base run plays. OK, it's power. We're going to pull this guy. You're going to block down. This guy's going to wrap around and lead through. There's all kinds of individual calls for individual defensive alignments and situations. You know, we're going to block it this way if this guy does that. And that's all the pre-snap stuff. Then there's the post-snap stuff where guys aren't where you expected them to be. Now, guys who've worked together will say, hey, we got that. Right. We don't even have mm-hmm. to verbally communicate on that. I know what I'm going to do if he goes across my face. And I didn't expect it. You're going to take this over. These guys got to figure that all out on the run. Mm-hmm. They've not had that. And they've been figuring it out. And I think they're also, I think Roman is also figuring out what these guys are good at. Obviously, you could look at Tyler Linderbaum in college and know that this guy can move, right? Mm-hmm. So you want to get him in, in plays where he can move. Obviously, they've been using him as a puller. Um, he's good at that, I think, just in terms of movement ability. What I didn't know, and I watched him last year with the Jets, but I don't think the Jets used him as much this way, is how good a puller Morgan Moses is. Wow, I mean, he showed athletic. up in this game. Yeah, yeah, he's he's more athletic than I thought. Yeah. And so I think what they're still trying to figure out is, look, not to say that he can't make those point of attack blocks. He can. But I think he might be a little bit better on the move and in space in some ways. You know, obviously, you're going to have to do both in this run game. You mm-hmm. can't not do those things. You're, you're an offensive line. But, you know, you're trying to put guys in positions to do what they do best as much as you can. Right. Okay. And, and, and not do things that maybe they're not quite as great at in other situations. So I think all of that. Plus the running backs, right? You throw that in. You mix those guys in. They're new by and large. I mean, Davis had been here throughout camp, but Drake was new to us. New to new to us. <laughs> and then JK's coming back. And although he knows the offense, you know, yeah. he's got to get his sea legs under him and all of that. And he's working with new offensive linemen. And, you know, running backs are reading that stuff in front of them. They're used to seeing it block certain ways and you know, seeing certain guys do certain things. So all of that, right, goes goes into it. Now, what can help you stay afloat? as you're working through those struggles and working out those kinks is having LeVar Jackson, right? Number one, <laughs> he can help kind of keep all of that afloat. Uh, obviously you don't want him to necessarily have to carry that much of the load all season long. But I mean, you look back at previous seasons, you're like, well, you know, Lamar can carry the load. Uh, <laughs> that's probably not ideally what you want, but I'm slowly, gradually starting to see these guys work through some of that feel, some of that continuity stuff. And I think it's coming along. I really think it's coming along. All right. Well, I think I, I, I agree with you. And I, I, the only problem I really have and the question I want to get to later, so I'll give you a little bit of time to think about is whether or not the Ravens really need a speed component on this offense. If, is Drake and Dobbins enough? My own personal opinion is probably no, that they really had something with Justice Hill they didn't have with either of these guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we, we, we'll talk about that a little bit in terms of, of how that affects spreading the offense horizontally and, and, and making Lamar the best Lamar he can be. Uh, in one of those cases. Let's talk about, we got a couple of mailbag questions came in about the fourth and inches call, which yeah. was an interesting one because a week ago against Buffalo, they go for it on fourth and two, uh, you know, with a t- wanting a touchdown in a tie game to go up. In this, in this game, they were up by three. So touchdown puts them up by 10, of course. Fourth and inches, and it was, you know, six, eight inches. It wasn't far. It wasn't, I don't think it was half a yard anyway, if, but that would have been the absolute outside of what it might have been. They they ran up, got Andrews under center, and ended up not running a play, taking delay of game call, kicking the field goal. Yeah, and I, I think somebody did ask you 
mm-hmm. for your thoughts on that play compared to the Miami play, right? Where they, mm-hmm. they kind of had Andrews motion, then come back and get under center and actually snap the ball, right? And he got mm-hmm. the first down. Um, so I know you kind of pointed it to me. I'm gonna I'm gonna bounce the ball back in your court. <laughs> sure. What did you see in terms of differences as to why you think they didn't snap the ball? And okay. So I believe they called a timeout. Or what what happened? Did they have called a timeout on fourth and inches before they took the delay of game penalty? Because it wouldn't be able to call a second, obviously. But I'm trying to remember if they if they actually called a timeout, they got in there, they had Lamar under center. And now that was a that was a fourth and two. It was in a different point yeah, of the game. That was different. I don't I don't yeah. know that they so this this is this is not the this is not the same one. So okay, it, on, on this play, what I did like about having bringing Andrews under center is the defense comes together to him like I, I don't I don't know what the analogy is, but they but they immediately have even more gravitation gravitational pull than Jackson does when he's there. And the the one time where they had him under center and then they ran him out from under center, I thought that's a great passing opportunity. Yeah, you know, that's a that's a that you're setting up a bunch of one on one matchups. You've essentially set up cover zero, but those defenders don't think they're blitzing. They're thinking, oh shit, pass! I gotta I gotta drop back. So uh, I, I I do think that has a lot of merit to be used again. Of course, now it's it's out there, and probably people have seen it and and won't will will have you know ability to to make changes there. But getting back to just the 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 the, situ- the game situation. I was a little surprised by the play in real time. And, and, and then I went back and I looked at the Ben Baldwin bot stuff on it. And um, the thing I believe is happening, uh, they, they, it was basically a toss-up call. They needed to have about, I think, about a 40% chance to make it in order to make it worthwhile. I'm sorry, 60%. And so it was, right. since it was fourth and inches, uh, it, was, it was a high probability of being 60%. But why did it need to be that high as a break-even? The main reason is that the situation had redraw value if they kick the field goal, meaning go up by six, give up the touchdown, come back with the game-winning field goal, where you then have the chance to kneel and, and end the game. Um, that has a lot of value. So uh, that was the big part. It wasn't just a matter of down and distance and the points involved, the expected points involved from that point. It's it's You'd have to get down to win probability to really understand why the uh, analytics people were recommending it. And, and I think it really was a, a, a break-even call from Harbaugh's perspective. They told him, hey, John, it's about 59, 60%, whatever is the break even. If you think they can make it that uh, more than that, then it's, it's a good call. And John said, yeah, you know what? After last week, let's just go ahead and take the points here. Yeah, I look back, I want because I couldn't remember either. So I wanted to pull up while, while you were describing the game situation part, the game book to see what happened. So they just had that short pass to likely the play mm-hmm. before, right? Yep. To get it down to fourth and one. No timeout before that. Uh, but you kind of described one of the, the key differences is, when they did come out on four from one and lined up, uh, Cincinnati was in a goal line defense, which is different than if you go back and you look at the Miami four from one. They were basically in their regular, whether you call it three down or five down. It's three down with two outside linebackers, five guys across the front. They this were in that the regular Lamar fumble. Oh, you're talking about oh, compare you're comparing it to the Lamar. No, fumble. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm comparing the fourth and two actually that occurred against that was against Miami. Yeah, what was against Miami? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So the type. So the Andrew sneak the, in the Dolphins game. The Andrew sneak in the Dolphins game. They made. Um, I, I'm not really looking at it. It's the fourth and two failure that people want to compare it to. Oh, so they're so, saying. So from from the Bills game. Yeah, from the Bills game. Okay, I thought there was a question from a guy who said, "Hey, they 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 used the Andrew fake once before and they snapped it and got it. Why yeah. didn't they use it in the Bengals game?" 
Why didn't they actually snap? Oh, well, that's, you know, that's another valid comparison. So the reason there was goal line defense. Yeah. Both that's what I thought he was talking about. Okay, my bad. I was on and, a totally and, But no, you're, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good one to talk about. And then not only that, even after that, Andrews, they, I mean, they had brought it down into a rug, rugby scum situation after Andrews was under center. So I, I don't think there was any way they were going to try and sneak that with him. Even even if it might have worked, I, I, you know, it's not it's not an ideal situation. And the Ravens aren't big on the center and left guard area. So you probably have to try and figure out how to get it over Zeitler somehow. And it's, it's just, it's more difficult. Uh, you know, one of the issues and, and boy, Tyler Linderbaum, his performance has been terrific so far, but he is very sheddable. And so if, if you want to run a quarterback sneak or any kind of a power concept that's over him, uh, it's just a, it's a lower probability things. A lot of ways he can help you. That ain't his best way. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they have some massive dudes. Uh, they're in the Bengals interior line. No, they don't have DJ Reader, who's typically their best interior defensive lineman. Uh, but I think they activated Tyler, a guy, your name you remember, Tyler uh, Shevlin <laughs> from the draft a few years ago that we talked about. I think they activated him from this game. I don't know if he got any snaps or not, but they got some other bigger bodies in there too. Uh, and so that was that was going to be uh, <laughs> a guy likes to call it a, a losing business proposition uh, yeah. <laughs> to try to pull that off. Uh, with, with those big guys in there lined up that way. And then, like you said, the backers coming in and scrumming. But, no, you, I was on a totally different play. So okay. the fourth and two uh, in this game, right, the missed throw to Wallace. No, actually, no. The four, the fourth, the, 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 see, the fourth and two was was back 40-yard line or whatever where they gave up the ball. So, I actually, I love that play because, okay. you know, you're not in really good field goal opportunity, even though it's Tucker can make it, can make it from there. You're not going to gain a lot from the punt. So the fourth and two going – is I think a particularly big gain, and it really should have been a touchdown the way the play came off. Obviously, there's about a 65% chance I think AWS had of a completion, might have been 75 for completion probability on that. Yeah, when that guy breaks open like that, and I I know people have looked at that and they said, oh, it looks like he slowed down a little bit, and and he did. Mm -hmm. He did, you know, as he made contact with the corner, he did kind of slow. Anytime you see a change of speed like that, you know, it's, it's, it's somewhat noticeable, but when you get that much separation from the cornerback, uh, as a quarterback, you 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 got to find a way to get the ball to that guy. <laughs> you know, I, I understand uh, that that change of speed can kind of throw you off a little bit, but people have, have talked about it like, hey man, just put it up and let him go run, go let him yeah. go run underneath him uh, when, when he's got that much separation. So I know that was something, and we'll, we'll probably get into it later. There's a couple of those opportunities in this game. Yeah. Okay, let's, let's get back to the fourth and two. Finish the tie this up and move on because we. I'm sorry, I've taken us all around. Read some time here. Burning daylight. <laughs> right. So, so the fourth and two play against Buffalo, uh, tie ball game, intercepted in the end zone. Uh, I didn't even realize it was fourth down at the game. I thought it was third down because that nine yard play threw me off. I think it was. I thought it was a first down at the at the mm. two on I guess Duvernay's run. Duvernay. Yep. And and uh, anyway, you know, Jackson. Uh, uh, Rolled back directly, basically both edges got beat, and they, I actually, really, the, lo- the loss was on the left side of Falele, and then and then Jackson got a little outside the pocket, and and Moses lost his guy too, and then of course Jackson's getting chased in a way he has to just dump the ball off or or throw it away. Throwing it away actually would have been a lot preferable to the interception, but Duvernay was open briefly in the back of the end zone. Uh, he got picked off, but the but the the notion was why don't you just go for three there, go up by three, and the reason is because. And Buffalo can take the ball the length of the field and score on you, and 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 it doesn't really have the same value, uh, obviously, as as going for seven is. But the seven also has redraw value. So if you if you if you score three 
the other team probably can get three as time expires because getting three as time expires is pretty easy. Getting seven as time expires is very hard and almost no team will reach, will risk it in terms of trying to really play the clock game to get it down to 15, 20 seconds and then score the, the, the winning score in that period of time. Uh, Maybe, maybe they're too conservative in their, in their unwillingness to do that. But uh, but most coaches much more comfortable kneeling the ball out, obviously, and and, and getting a kick now than uh, in past years. We've seen some big mistakes, by the way, with teams. We game against Chicago yeah. last year, last year, yeah, Huntley, yeah. Yeah. yeah, where the guy did not go down inside the five yard line and he cost the cost Chicago the game against the Ravens. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> I, I've, it's interesting that the the conversation. I guess they're just always going to come up whenever these situations occur in games. For me, it's like I've, I I think I was telling somebody else this. I feel like the analytics conversation in football, specifically around fourth down decisions, you know, fourth and short mm-hmm. go, no go. I feel like it's advanced so far in the last few years. Like we'd get away from this, mm-hmm. but we can never seem to get away no. from it. And people no. still second guess it. Why don't you take the points? I'm like, I, I thought we've we've got like obviously everybody's not going to understand the math at the same level that people with math backgrounds do, but just the general understanding of why you do it and the probabilities i feel like people kind of had that or i felt like people had that maybe they maybe maybe i'll i'll ask this in a way because i can't understand it because i'm a math guy i just i can't understand it because i'm a math guy but but i will say do you think non-math people and that would be me i i don't i don't i don't know that i put you in this category michael i really don't but do you think they feel talked down to by math people who say uh even somebody who wants to show them the formula, and, and I've done that on my show, is to, to go through the algebraic formula of, of how you, you have to adjudicate, or, you know, make even the chance of winning with the field goal, the chance of the two outcomes on the, on the potential touchdown. And then if it's that percentage or higher that you calculate, you solve for X, uh, you know, it makes sense to go then. I think people have a, a, a natural aversion to being talked math to if they are not math people. And that makes the thing that analytics kind of a fool's errand to try and ever get um, everybody on the same page. We're always going to have Republicans and Democrats uh, in terms of of and I don't I'm not taking a side on the Republicans, right, right, Republicans right. and Democrats, but, <laughs> but we're always going to have two two parties who can't talk to each other on, on this particular issue because it's it, it you know they they come from such different backgrounds they can't even start to understand the other person's point of view. I think that there's probably some element of that. I don't think that you or even some of the other people on Twitter who, um, you know, I think do a really good job of explaining the math part of it do this. I certainly don't think they do it intentionally, but it's almost like people, like you said, who are not math people, such as myself, it's almost like they read a tone into the explanation. Like, hey, here's the math. Here are the numbers. If you don't understand this, it's because you're dumb. (laughs) It's almost like they read, even though, like I said, the person who's presenting the numbers, that's not their intent at all. But it's almost like this tone that's implied. Like, how come you can't understand this? And you and I know each other personally, Michael. Yeah. So this is, you know, you're you're a contract lawyer for the government. You, so you are in no way would you be considered stupid. But even a smart person like you, like any number of other people who didn't end up going into a math field, might feel insulted by the tone if it doesn't even have to be that you say specifically you're stupid. It, it could be an attachment like... This is not a, a, a you know a college math topic. You learned this in eighth grade. Yeah, that'll See, do it right there, <laughs> and, and, and that will do it right there. And 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 I I understand, and I'm probably 
um, guilty of that from time to time. One of the things that, that anyway, I don't, we won't get into all the math that comes into football because because it, it, it could be a lot, but I want to make sure I, I, I kind of avoid that. So I appreciate you kind of calling me out on that. In, in terms well, I mean, like of, I said, I don't know that it's you. Again, I just think that somehow that tone gets implied mm -hmm. for people who don't have that math background. And I think we are the ones who imply it. I mean, okay. sometimes it might come across from the person who's presenting it because I think they might get frustrated at times. They're like, come on, come on. <laughs> but for the most part, I don't think it's them. I think it's really us. And we're just like, oh, these nerds, they don't understand. They never lined well, up and played football. <laughs> I, I I saw a great quote on Twitter, but this is some of the kind of the, 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 the when, when you look at responses on Twitter, you can't take a single response to be the general response by the other side of the thing. And that's a, that's a general problem. But one guy on Twitter said, um, I think NFL head coaches would jump out a window if their analytics people told them it was the faster way to get to the ground level. <laughs> I, it, was, it, was, it was just a great comment the way it was made. But, but I, there is a lot of that uh, th that is automatically ratcheted back with a very harsh backlash, it seems. If you look at comments that I've gotten when I put out something like that has a formula in it, and and I think what you math people don't understand is blah 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 blah. Well, okay, I, I you know maybe the model does not account for that, but you know we solve problems with models right now. But the problem is that the response is always one of you jackass, you, yeah. you know, can't possibly understand that. And uh, uh, I, I, you know, I have a problem with that too. I think I think the tone, um, I I find the, the the tone to be objectionable in, in the discussion. So I, I really have tried to be less involved in it. But I appreciate your explanation of this. And I think I can, there's something I can learn in terms of, of how I provide information on this in the future is, is just to say, not mention things like eighth grade math or whatever. I mean, yeah. it, and, and coaches have embraced it, though. That's what I think. People, yes. I think that's what gets lost in that. If you compare the last few years to everything that came before, they have embraced this. So the very people who probably have more of a reason to say, no, nah, I'm a football guy. Right now, no, yeah. I, I don't need it. They've embraced it. Yeah. <laughs> so why can't we? <laughs> why can't the rest of us? I don't, that part just mesmerizes me. I'm not going to say every single head coach has at the same level, but I mean, you can see a clear difference in yeah, this, the way that things used to be versus how they've been probably over the last few years. Yeah, I, I, I would definitely say even Harbaugh has had a tremendous evolution personally in this regard. Ravens, tremendous short yardage team when he first got the, he was cowardly in terms of his fourth down risk. It was only in 2015. When the team had a, um, you know, a lot of trouble winning football games because of all the injuries, that they went to a lot of the analytics stuff and 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 really started using it more. And he had a great coaching year, even though the Ravens had a crappy on the field <laughs> year. Yeah. So, uh, I anyway, enough of that. Let's get let's talk some offense from this okay. game. What do you say? <laughs> so, Ravens put themselves in a position to kneel out the opponent. That's always nice. It's it hasn't happened that much in Lamar's career, but it has happened a few times. They did it against Cleveland in the big win on Monday night. They did it against, um, uh, obviously, in this game In this game that just passed, they did it against the 49ers. That's the other game I'm thinking of in 2019. So when they've, they have had a few opportunities to do it, and, and when they have, it's, uh, it, I think Lamar's made it work pretty much every time. Uh, I'm trying to think of a, of a time where they actually turned the ball over or gave it up uh, with the game tied at the end of regulation and didn't get the game uh, you know, put away properly when they had enough time to drive for a field goal. Yeah. So it just shows you how how strong a Lamar offense is when allowed to play four down football. Yeah, and I, I think I remember that last drive um, as the game was tied, and you know the little short 
pass. Essentially, it was a screen pass out to Andrews to get yep. it started. And then it, it kind of became those two guys. Yep. You know, it kind of, and I, I think I said, I, this is, you know, I'm not a big NBA fan anymore, but I used to be back in the day. I said, this is, this is Jordan. This is Michael Jordan in the fourth quarter. This is what you do, right? Jordan talked about earlier in his career. Yeah, I come out, I can score 50, I can score 60, make it all about me. But to win a championship, he understood I have to get my teammates involved in the flow of the game. It can't just be about me. Now, when we get to crunch time, we get to the fourth quarter, and things aren't kind of going the way that we need them to go, I'll take over. And I'll do whatever I need to do to win the game. And so you can look at Lamar throughout the game. It's always missing this throw. He's not doing this. He's not. When it's time to go win the game, I'm going to do whatever I've got to do to win the game. And regardless of what's going on with your mechanics or your throwing motion or whatever else, he's always got his legs. <laughs> and they can get him into some good situations. I, I got to look again at exactly the thing, but I bet by, by memory, it was pass to Andrews, pass to Andrews, run 19 for Lamar. Then they had some sort of little run by Drake. Yeah, that was yeah. that was the four yard run, and hilariously, Harbaugh talked about that in the first. Oh, key that run. last drive, it was key all that, the Drake a key four yard run. And, yep, yeah, right. <laughs> and, Just the and and then they went to, <laughs> they went to the mesh point the next two plays, and I don't remember who was in the game whether it was Drake or Davis. It might have still been Drake. It might have been it wasn't Dobbins, but it might have might have been Drake. Davis. Um, but anyway, he, he he pulled the football, and to me, to my way of examining that, I don't think there was any way if there was any crease for Lamar. Didn't didn't even have to be a good one. He was going to take, you know, he was going to take that ball and try and advance the ball three yards. That's really what they wanted there. And then they got the first down, so they got the time component completely figured out in terms of the game. And uh, and of course, I was not a big fan of just having Tucker kick from that distance. I thought, yeah, a little bit. How about you? Yeah, no, I mean, look, hey, get get as close as you possibly can. Uh, you know, within within what time is 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 allowed there now. You know, obviously they've got the luxury of the best kicker of all time. Mm-hmm. 61 consecutive fourth quarter and overtime field goals. Uh, one of the things we've heard, we've heard a lot, you know, Cade York, this came up, but Tucker now has, has a 27 consecutive field goals made. It is the third longest streak of his career. He's had <laughs> seven streaks of 19 or more consecutive field goals made. Here's, here's my, my, my new Cade York rule. I'm going to call this is any kicker nominated to be the next Justin Tucker has to have made at least one 19 field goal in a row streak uh, to, before, before that can happen. Otherwise, I'm, I'm just not interested in hearing it. If you, you want to draft the guy and get called him the next Justin Tucker, uh, you, you, yeah, you lost. They've been me. trotting them out. Cade York, what, yeah. last year is Evan McPherson, mm-hmm. right? They, yep. They've been trotting these guys out there, but when it's time, he always confirms what we already know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Great stuff. Let's move on. Uh, Lamar and a mission. We already kind of talked about that. Let's talk about Lamar's performance specifically. Um, he had not had a ton of success versus Cincinnati in 21 and 22. I think they realize uh, more about him. Now, these last three games, obviously, part of it is Cincinnati having the lead and forcing Lamar to do some things that are that are more you know, pure passing as opposed to being able to run the ball as he wants. Um, but also, they just do a better job of making sure that their pass rush carries him effectively. And we saw that against Miami last year, but we also saw it you know, in, in Cincinnati, both games last year, and then this game uh, in particular, which we're going to get to a little bit later, that, that, that they did not give him a lot of time to throw the football. No, something that they've been doing, uh, 
and I don't want to say they weren't doing it before because I don't know that I paid that close attention to it, but certainly since Lou Anarumo has become their defensive yeah. coordinator, is that delayed rush uh, from a linebacker on the second level, mm-hmm. whether it's Wilson or, or Pratt or Gabe Davis, whoever it is, that's been pretty effective. Um, and it's kind of cool. I mean, I, I, I know we're trying to focus on the Lamar side of this, but from the defensive perspective, it's kind of cool because if that guy were to tip his rush pre-snap, you know, quarterbacks using his cadence so you can see a guy kind of tip that he's coming. If if Because those guys are at depth. But if they were kind of up near the line and they tipped it, you would know, okay, I either have enough in terms of protection to block that guy so I can still mm-hmm. kind of take a, a somewhat normal drop and go through my progressions, or I don't. And I'm going to be hot off of that guy. I have to yeah. throw hot off of that guy, right? Yeah. So by delaying that, and then that guy coming later in 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 the in the rush, that hot route it'll get out. Yeah. And there are a couple times where it looks like it's a viable throw, but you don't think you're hot, and so you don't throw it, and you go through your normal progression. But oh, guess what? There are coverage elements now behind what they're doing with that delayed rush. You're like, oh, now I can't work that. Now I can't throw to the hot you end up having to hold the ball, scramble around, try to make something happen. I, I think the receiver may also be affected by that. I'll ask you as a question. I mean, you know, if if the receiver is coming off the line of scrimmage, who would be the hot read if there's a true red dog? Okay, not it's not somehow green, and this is somewhere between red and green, whatever that is, a brown dog or whatever it might be to, to, to be between the two. Um, you know, if that delay may actually throw off the receiver from looking to turn and become the hot route. So he's receiver has a responsibility to look for the football and, and that, you know, they, you may lose that. You may start noticing there are strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, that's not beer. It's actually mountain spring water from the Alps and it's called liquid death. Why is this water called liquid death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst and their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of the profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. Those aluminum cans that comes in are recyclable and actually profitable for recycling facilities so they won't just end up in your local landfill like plastic bottles. Go get Liquid Death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundies, or Hy-Vee, or find Liquid Death re- retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com front slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com front slash film study. The other thing I, I, I noticed, and this was true on the one of the Wilson rushes where uh, he really got after Lamar uh, well, and I think it was a forced throwaway on this play, but it may have been the fourth and two even, um, is that he waited just a moment to see where the Bengals got better rush. And as usual, it came from the left side with, with Hendrickson. Lamar rolled right. And it's a right-handed quarterback. That's normally going to be the direction of the roll anyway. It's the r- direction he'd like to roll. And uh, he almost immediately identified where he would roll. And the, you know, the normal rules for him as a spy or as a guy who's in zone defense on, 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 on that side would be as soon as the pocket breaks, he has to head right to the quarterback. Yeah. But in this case, he headed right to the quarterback before that happened, maintained that outside leverage. Uh, and, and in that case, he, uh, he forced Lamar to get rid of the ball, I believe, if I'm, if I'm recalling the play correctly. Yeah. And, you know, uh, you've probably noticed this yourself. This is something that I think they try to do with him, at least over the last three games, is they want to speed him up as much as possible. I think that they think that if they can get him playing frenetically, yeah, he's a uh, he's a more he's a less disciplined passer in particular. If you can get him playing frenetically, which is probably mm-hmm. true of most quarterbacks. But I think they feel like if we can get 
elements in his face sooner, whether that's a pass game or the running game. We can get those things attacking more quickly into the backfield, attack the mesh, have a guy crashing hard off the backside. You know, Steelers do some of this, too. I think that's kind of that's kind of the theme here is that the teams that know you the best understand, you know, how to attack you the most effective way. And it's everything is about speeding it up, speeding it up. Speed. Don't let Lamar dictate to us by making reads and making decisions. We're going to take that out of his hand. We're going to force him to go where we want him to go, which is what happens to your point when you have those guys slanting inside to break the pocket. It's to force you to go where they want you to go right. into an unblocked rusher. So I think that they have a pretty good grasp on what they want to do, but Lamar is Lamar. And so sometimes what you want to do is just not going to work because he's that good. <laughs> and and that it, it is true that the 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 if you have a one-on-one matchup, which him being out of the pocket will often create, you know, so most teams will try and make it two-on-one. But uh, if you have a one-on-one matchup, these that guy has to be very disciplined about about maintaining his leverage and not letting Lamar Jackson beat him one-on-one because that's exactly what Lamar wants. He doesn't have a check down receiver, generally speaking. There's a lot of routes going deeper down the field, and there may not be anyone behind you to uh, to make that play. I want to move on a little bit, if that's okay. We'll talk about ample time and space, ball out quick, and pressure, because big differences in this game. The uh, The Ravens only gave Lamar ample time and space on seven of 31 throws, so that's really not very good at all. It's, uh, what, 20-some percent, 20, 21%, I believe. Uh, on those seven throws... He threw for a total of 31 yards, so 4.4 yards per throw. It did include that touchdown to Andrews, which was by far his best ample time space throw of the day. But uh, uh, those are not the results you want for ample time space. You want probably about 10 yards per play. Yeah, that's disappointing uh, to to hear that uh, that that's kind of what they were. But these these games, you know, I was so hopeful early on when it looked like you know the defense was really playing well, getting three and outs, mm-hmm. getting the ball back to the offense. They were moving it pretty well. So I was like, okay, this isn't going to be one of those, you know, division, typical division grinded out games. We're going to get a comfortable lead here. This is going to be good. But of course, it morphed into one of those typical grinded out kind of games. And I guess when you get into those, sometimes these numbers get ugly, um, you know, for for a variety of different reasons. Just that you understand each other so well. Uh, And I see this in the run game. It probably shows up in the pass game, too. But of course, I, I pay most attention to the run game. You're not really going to fool the Bengals or the Steelers or, or, or even the Browns uh, with anything new per se in terms of a new play, right? They they know what you want to do. They know what you do. But what they do is they make these small little adjustments and wrinkles in how they block certain plays or how they ask the guys within certain plays to do things, right, in a different way than the way that they've done them in the past. So these little tiny little things like these bluff blocks. I think I tweeted out that play where you got a guy pulling. And he bluffs like he's going to block. I think it was Sample, 96, was in the game at the time. And so Ricard bluffs him, and he goes up to the second level. Andrews had already bluffed, uh, already bluffed Wilson on the second level, so he goes up the Bates. So uh, Ricard bluffs Sample. So pulling player have, or something, pick up Sample? Yeah, yeah, coming towards Sample to like kick him out on like a power run to the, to the left. And he sees you, right? So he's got to react to you. He's got to prepare mm-hmm. that you're going to block him. But you don't. Right. So in that split second where his eyes and his kind of preparation goes to shut you, him down, you go by him and then Zeidler comes and bang. Right. Same thing. Not the same thing, but but similar thing with Wilson on the second level. Ricard is coming. To, uh, sorry. Andrews is coming to you. You're prepared to kind of take him on and get leverage on him. 
he bluffs you and goes up to the safety. Now you're outside. You jumped outside of him to try to get leverage. And now Ricard just walls you off. That was on the JK 17 yard, right? Mm -hmm. They had two bluff blocks on the same play. And not that they never do that, but that was something I hadn't seen yet this year. I don't have to go back. I don't know what they did with two. I've seen them do it individually. We've seen the bluff stuff with the Tyler Sark releasing and stuff, but doing it with two guys, it's just a little wrinkle you do to just say, okay, we can't fool you per se. We can add a little tweak here or there that maybe you haven't prepared for yet. Yeah, that that's that really sounds extraordinary. I'm gonna want to go back and look at that play. So the Dobbins 17 yard run fairly early mm-hmm. in this game. Yep. All right. There, there were there were a couple highlight blocks on that play that uh, that were really great. And it wasn't just it was I think Moses pulled from the from the far back side, right? So it was a two two man pull. Yeah. He had a really nice block on that too, just running his guy like 10 yards down. <laughs> yeah, it was one of two highlights I gave him on the game, but he really had a terrific game in, in terms of that. We'll get to that in just a little bit, okay? Um, ball out quick. Lamar threw 11 balls, completed every single one. By the way, that both both quarterbacks did that. Or actually, mm-hmm. that's not quite true. The uh, Lamar completed 11, 11 ball out quicks. This goes to the frenetic pace you're talking about. If if you try and be frenetic by trying to get inside on him and he's going in, in ball out quick mode, which you know a lot of that could be schemed, and I think Roman sure. has done a pretty good job this year of of getting the ball out of Lamar's hands some of the time quickly and not making every play into extended into extended play. It's almost like playing poker. You got to bluff sometimes. You got to actually yeah. have the, the best hand sometimes. And and if you're if you're playing an extended play, you're usually playing to have the best hand. I'd say, say if a BOQ is is more like uh, you know making sure you're covered. Maybe 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 got those reversed. <laughs> maybe that maybe the extended play is really the bluff. But whatever the whatever the case, completed all eleven passes for 107 yards. The 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 analogous set for Burrow was throwing behind the line of scrimmage to the outside. He just wanted to do that all game line, and and the Ravens weren't really stacking up the inside. I didn't think very much. It was a matter of getting the ball into Chase's hand as much as anybody, a little bit into um, some other players like Boyd, a uh, couple of running backs, Perrine and and Mixon both had some of those throws, but he completed every single one of them, 12 out of 12, but for only 75 yards. And so while that is good offense at 6.3 yards per play, uh, I thought the Ravens did an outstanding job of slowing the Bengals down uh, on those plays. And and uh, they did take some risk on them in order to get it done. There were some balls that nearly got batted. You know, there's always a chance of a fumble when you're, when you're trying to essentially run an extension of your run game outside the pocket with guys who don't carry the football with the same kind of high and tight security that your running backs do. So anyway. Yeah. And he so, talked about, I think he had a comment after the game where he just said there was just nothing. He's like, if they're going to play that way, there's just nothing down the field. You just, mm-hmm. Everything's got to be underneath. And to me, I'm like, I can you, you know, from a defensive perspective, I'm always going to lean that way. I mean, look, I, I love wink and I do love pressure. I'm not going to, Mm-hmm. to set like pressure coming from all over the place. But when you're dealing with really good quarterbacks and, and good offensive skill players, you got to pick your spots with that stuff. By and large, you probably want to try to make them go the long, hard way uh, as, as, as much as you can. It, it depends on who it is, right? Because there's some guys that will do that. We know the Peyton Mannings, the Tom Brady's. You give me that, I'll take it all day. And the one time you make a mistake, ball's going over your head. Um, but they're patient to do that. A lot of these younger guys, who are, who are stars in this league, they're having to develop that. We saw that early last year with Patrick Mahomes. They want to attack. They don't want to nickel and dime their way down the field if that's what you're giving them. They're like, nope, don't care. Throwing in a double coverage. It's going over your head. <laughs> right? Because they want to make that play because they know they can make that play. But I think that's been part of the Bengals' struggles that have been chronicled going into this game is that 
teams just weren't giving them that go ball like they were giving them last year. Mm-hmm. And it's like, hey, you're going to have to to go the long, hard way on us if you can. And you can do that enough times to to score and not just kick threes, you know, get sixes. We'll tip our cap to you. But we can't just let you Tyreek Hill us for 50 yards or 60 yards, you know. Absolutely. They pick up the pace a little bit here. They had 15 pressure events against the Ravens. Um, 33 yards only on that. So 2.2 yards per play. He only completed four passes. There was one sack for minus four, one interception in that group. So the Bengals pressure was extremely effective against the Ravens and it was extremely frequent. And that's the big reason why Lamar had, you know, very below average passing stats for the day. Certainly not what we'd want uh, uh, from him on a regular basis. Uh, And they did it with a variety of things. They, they, they did it with numbers. I've got some numbers here. For you, they rushed three, uh, one play, one yard. They rushed four, 14 plays, 105 yards, 7.5 per play. No one interception in there, one sack for minus four. But generally speaking, the 7.5 yards per play is good enough to uh, get it done in the National Football League if you're a quarterback. Not crazy about that interception rate, but but that's still good enough. When they rushed five, 12 plays for 36 yards, 3.0 per play. That ain't going to do it. When they rush six, five for 28, not good enough. And when they rush seven, one for zero. So 3.6 yards per play on 18 five-plus man rushes. That's usually what people define as a blitz. So 3.6 yards per play on that. And they only had 15 uh, where they did not blitz uh, by the five-plus definition. So uh, they, they were very effective at making Lamar get that ball out, not on his own schedule. Yeah, and I don't want to understell. I don't want to undersell not having Bateman. I mean, obviously that that's a mm-hmm. that's a big factor, uh, not being able to have that weapon in the game. But again, and I always caveat this because I want to make sure that people understand. I'm not saying this is what I think. <laughs> this is just my interpretation of what I believe opposing defensive coordinators think, and, and why they've continued to do this. Because I know some people have looked at numbers and they've said, "Well, why would you continue to send pressure against Lamar? Mm-hmm. Look what he did. Look what he did to the Dolphins." Like how well he's been throwing the ball against pressure. Why, why would you do that? And again, just my interpretation of what I see as I watch the film, I think many defensive coordinators in this league feel like he is an undisciplined player against pressure. Yeah. They, they, the very thing that you're talking about, getting the ball out quick, on time, in rhythm, to the right place, based on mm-hmm. where the pressure is coming from, they don't think that he can do that consistently throughout the course of a game. And so they continue saw. to bring pressure because they just don't believe he can do it. We certainly saw a couple throws that that uh, one was under pressure. I believe the other one actually might have been ample time and space. As I turn away from the microphone, I hope that wasn't too uh, no, too bad there. Good. But but they had uh, yeah the ample time and space on the Duvernay throw. Uh, he was in the pocket, had plenty of time to throw that ball, and it just it uh, it was off target. But the one to, on fourth and three, well, he, where he missed uh, uh, Wallace down the right sideline, uh, that was that was another play where there was uh there was some pressure on him but he got outside to 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 have a chance to make that throw and was just seemed to be not quite set properly to make it um but yeah it's it's uh i think you're playing with fire by the way again just to be clear my position i think if you do that with him i think you're playing with fire because he will absolutely burn you but i just the more i look at it i'm trying to justify why would why do defensive coordinators continue to do it Right. I think you're right. right. Yeah, I think that's what they believe about. So, uh, 
you know, one of those games, they uh, they certainly were, were were getting to them. What else do I want to talk about this? The Bengals really came into this with a pretty decent run profile in terms of the base per game stats. They hadn't given up a whole lot of yardage per game in, in the run game. They've been pretty effective on a yards per carry basis, but they really had not been winning, winning run blocks. And that's something Dan Reese brought up on our By the Numbers coming into this game was that they, the Ravens had been – even though I hadn't run the ball effectively, they've been good good at making their run blocks, like the fourth best in the league. And the Bengals were 29th in winning run blocks defensively. So this was a, a you know a good matchup for that. It did turn out to be a pretty good game rushing for the Ravens, 155 yards. That's certainly good enough. I mean, you know, we, we think of the Ravens as a 3,000 yard rushing team. Maybe, maybe that happens again sometime. Maybe it doesn't. That's that's actually pretty close at 155. Um, but the uh, 5.5 yards per carry is certainly good enough. It wasn't all Lamar. It was a nice you know, spread of some effectiveness from Dobbins and Drake as well. Um, but, but here's my question. Given it was the Bengals and given you know, the Ravens have Ronnie Stanley back, and, and I, I think hopefully that's, a, that's an ongoing positive for the Ravens, is, is the run game good enough as it is right now? Or do they still need this credible speed back in order to make the – run game offense what it needs to be in order to get a little closer to where they were in 2019 and 20. I think it would definitely help. Um, I mean, that that's something that is very difficult to account for uh, when you do have a guy who has that game breaker type speed. And I'm not saying that, that JK doesn't, we've seen JK rip off some, mm-hmm. lot, some, some long runs. Um, but there's just something a little bit different when you look at certain guys, just kind of, it's hard to explain it. There's just a certain burst. There's a certain juice a certain explosiveness to the to their their speed element. Obviously, we've talked about Duvernay several times over several several shows over the mm-hmm. years about him, and uh, they they gave him you know a few more of those kinds of opportunities in this game. Um, I think that it could be good enough, in my opinion, if you get J.K. back to full health, and I think he's on his way there, and if you get Gus back. Mm-hmm. I think the the I think missing Gus has been something for me. I won't speak for anybody else that I've vastly underappreciated <laughs> like what he did in their run game, what his rights, not just the short yardage stuff. Uh, he was more than that, right? The guy has really good vision. I think that he get that's way undersold on him that people think, Oh, he's just a big guy. He's going to get you three or four yards. We know about the season he had where he almost had like no negative runs that one year. Mm-hmm. That's not just because he's a big guy. He's got great vision for a running back. He, see, he would make cuts in certain runs that I didn't see anybody else in their backfield make. Mark Ingram didn't make them. J.K. didn't make them. That play is not supposed to go there. You're not supposed to make that cut. And But he saw it, and he made it, and he made it work. Now, people would say, is it luck? I think he did it more than one time. So I think that could help, too. It doesn't. He's not going to bring that speed element, per se, but just having another guy who is a, who can stress your run fits mm-hmm. because of his vision. Yeah, that's, he's he's a player who does things differently and a lot of slippery power, particularly in level two. And this showed up in a lot of missed tackles, particularly early in his career in 18. Uh, he had a ton, very, very high uh, yards after contact figure. Uh, but but he, he gives you a ton of slippery power. He's been one of the most consistent backs in the NFL, but he's coming back from injury and we don't know who he's going to be. We just don't know. And I'm, you know, I'm deathly afraid he might have lost a little something of what makes him special. If the good news is it probably won't be the vision, but it might be some little element that makes the vision not quite as useful. Uh, and and what I found to be really great was you know, Jim Brown had that ability to leave a leg 
that that was extremely effective in terms of breaking. Now he was a big, powerful man. Lots of other positives about Jim Brown. You can heap on him, but Edwards has some of the ability to be the big, powerful back. He's 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 big enough, um, but but he also has a little bit of slipperiness, a little bit of a a half cut to him in level two that forces the contact to be just not exactly what will take him down from a smaller defender, particularly a safety. Uh, try to hit him there. Uh, I just I've been really impressed with him over the years at that. I hope he has some of that left in his game when he comes back. That's a good point. That's a good point. That's another thing I should have learned is that don't automatically assume that these guys come back and look like they did the last time you saw them <laughs> returning from these major injuries. But to your point about the speed, I think where it's it was it was completely noticeable was before JK came back. And yep. you had Drake and you had Davis and they really hadn't started to use justice very much. It was glaring then. It was like, okay, there's, there's nobody that can stress this defense in the run game on the on the edges, on the perimeter. There's literally nobody that can do it. They can just collapse everything in. They have no fear that you can get outside them and get around the corner. And then when they started to give Justice a few more opportunities, you saw him, you know, bust a few runs because he's got that ability. You say, okay, now we're cooking here, right? Mm-hmm. It'd be great to have him and JK and Gus. I think you can be okay with JK because I think he can he can give you that threat of it. I think he's fast enough to do it, but like I said, what it, what it was before that, yeah, you definitely needed it before that. I think you can probably be okay with it now. We saw a lot of uh, of Duvernay obviously in this game and the and the Duvernay centric offense that he was. He's a guy that they had used as a more of a gadget guy to run jet motion and be one of the guys who helps you misdirect horizontally across the line. That to, that to me is the big thing. And I, you know, stress on the defense, you call it. But but to me, it's a lot of the Ravens' offense is predicated on getting the defense to get somebody to run out of position and then having Lamar take advantage of that with his mesh point decision. So, you know, you get it, we've seen it against the Cowboys. We've seen it against the Redskins where a linebacker gets out of position, uh, uh, gets in the wrong gap, goes the wrong direction to try and cover the speed option. All of a sudden, Lamar's got a 50-yard touchdown. Uh, and, 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 and the funny thing is, J.K. Dobbins is seeing it behind the play and raising his hand when he's like two yards from the line of scrimmage already. You know, so it's yeah, he knows it's good. He knows it's out the gate. <laughs> it's a touchdown. But Greg Roman has talked about that. He's talked about that in his pressers more than once. Numbers, angles, and space. That's yep. what they're trying to create in their run game. And they've got every run known to man, as he likes to say, to be able to do. All right. We're an hour in, which I should have guessed that this would probably be a problem here. We usually try to take a split and take a little bathroom break and then we'll get back to it. But let's let's keep going a little bit with the DuVernay centric offense. I was very excited to see it. I'm not sure it's any sort of a substitute for Bateman, who's, you know, at 11 yards per target this year, despite lots of problems. He's only caught half the balls. He's had some drops and yet he's at 11 yards per target because he's made some big plays. Uh, DuVernay is capable of a lot of medium-length plays, and he's been an incredibly reliable receiver this year. In fact, he leads all NFL receivers in DeVoe right now, uh, highest, of, highest of all of them, which is incredible, frankly. Yeah, we knew coming out of Texas that the guy had very reliable hands. We knew that. Didn't drop a lot of balls. I think some of the unknown or the questions were, where, where, you know, well, he's catching a lot of this screen, quick game stuff at Texas, some of the gadget stuff that you talked about. How's that going to translate to the NFL? We've got to do kind of more traditional stuff. He's obviously had to take on more of that role this year uh, after they traded Hollywood away. And he's been able to do that. I mean, we've seen the fade balls down the field going up, making contested catches. Uh, I mean, he's always flashed a little bit of that. I mean, you probably remember the catch in the Minnesota game last year in the Mm -hmm. end zone, like the one hand kind of tip it to himself. 
He's always shown a little bit of that ability to do it. I think you and I have talked about this and other people have seen it before and said I've said it before. He may have a little bit of tightness just in the hip area, you know, maybe not that super loose, flexible change of direction kind of guy. Uh, but obviously a, a very fast, linear type athlete, strong, um, not just strong with the ball in his hands as a runner, like literally strong with the ball in his hands as a receiver, big, strong hands to catch the ball. But he's shown me this year that, hey, if you give me the opportunity to do more kind of traditional wide receiver routes to run those, I can run those routes and I can get open on those routes. But it's going to be the kinds of stuff where he's on the move. Right. Probably not a hard break kind of guy. You know, you may, may not want to do a t- or start stop type of guy. Mm-hmm. May I want to do a ton of that with him. But deep crossers, go balls, those little sneak flat routes where he comes in motion and goes yep. you know, behind the line of scrimmage out the other side. All of that kind of stuff where he's on the move and he can use that speed. You know, he's going to catch the ball. Let him catch it on the move. Let him then become that uh, pro bowl kick returner in space that he is. Uh, I think that's okay. I mean, I think there's been a little bit of this like consternation, like, well, he's a receiver, but really want to. No, I think it's okay to do all of that. Yeah, yeah it's. I, I I think it's okay too. I think he's he's perfectly set at the Z because you want him as a potential motion guy. So you know, it's he, he's been kind of ideal for that, and he's given the Ravens jet motion when they need it. He's carried the football off jet motion a couple times. But the other thing I'm really loving is this Cordell, Cordell Patterson, you know, line him up in the backfield yeah. thing. And Patterson, I don't think Patterson lines up all that much as receiver anymore. Probably some of both, but I, but I really don't know. He, he must be flexed out some. But the but the uh, uh, actually getting Duvernay in the backfield is something he did. I think one time in 2021, one play. About right. and, and and then they they uh, you know came back to it at least once last night. But it might have been more than once. He might have been in sidecar once. He might have been in, in uh, even in pistol once. Uh, yesterday, but it was, it was a, you know, it's great to see when it happens. It's great to see success out of that formation. And if you are, are showing the other team's sidecar, you want to have the guy next to Lamar be a speed threat that threatens the outside of the opposite side from his sidecar set. So if he's set up left of Lamar, he's threatening the right side with his speed. And, And that means Lamar is threatening the center. And I think what we've seen since 2019 really wasn't the case in 19 where he ran the right edge a lot or ran the ran the edge a lot, I'll say. Um, Lamar's really a middle runner. You want to get him in space, give him more guys he, you can make, he can make miss, and then you know uh, not have the boundary help out the defender uh, in the way that keeps Lamar obviously healthy in terms of, of running out of bounds a lot. But Lamar's very slippy, and he's hard to bring down hard. Uh, he's, 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 he can be brought down, but, but, you know, Lamar knows how to be tackled. He's, and, and hopefully, you know, he'll take fewer of the, uh, of the hits to the head and, and, you know, hits the low hits to the leg that are, that are dangerous to, uh, uh, to him. But I think, I think the Ravens have really settled on him being a middle runner, which means they're going to want to run out of sidecar, uh, most of the time and not go back to the pistol of 2019. Yeah. And you know, the two plays, we've talked about them a bunch, uh, whether it, it's power read, and it's uh it's bash it's quarterback, it's quarterback. <laughs> those are those are the two plays those are the home run hitters uh they basically ran and i want to say at least two or three times on that last drive <laughs> they just said look we're just gonna go power read they can't stop it uh because look I, I know people have criticized that in the early part of the season that hey they don't actually have a running game without lamar they don't have a running game but to me it's like look number one he's lamar jackson always starts there number two it is just a mathematical advantage <laughs> to use your quarterback in the running game if you have one who can actually do it. Everybody can't do it. 
when you have one that actually can do it, that is an extra guy who I won't say that defenses don't account for in the running game because in the modern NFL running game, they, they account for that guy. But you have to get the numbers right to where he's running the ball, right? That loaded box thing, I think people can trip themselves up on that sometimes because you're thinking about raw numbers in a box. Well, yeah. it's numbers to the side of the run, yeah. right? That's the key. So you can have nine guys down there, but if you've got five of them on one side of the ball, and four on the other side, and I pull one or two guys, and now I've got a five or a six-man advantage to your four on that side, you got a problem because I can cut that defense in the half with those down blocks, and now I've got numbers to the side of the run. Yeah. I, 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 I could not have explained that better. That's absolutely fantastic, and I would expect you to explain it better because you're a run game guru. But but there's isn't there even another piece of that? I'll ask this as a question, is that um, you also have the opportunity to block a player with air who has to make a decision. And that really gives you an extra one man advantage. You have one because you have a quarterback, but you have another because you just froze one of the other guy's defenders. So you get a plus one, he gets a minus one on some of the plays that you're running out of Roman's offense. And that's some of the beauty of the thing. Absolutely. You're hundred percent right. I mean, I've heard a coach say it that way. He said a a good read is worth two blocks. (laughs) Basically he's like, I can gain two in the run game which I don't have to physically block you. And now I can take that guy who was going to physically block you and go block somebody else. Oh, yeah. by the way, my quarterback still has the ball. You're already outnumbered. And yeah. now I've got a blocker in a place where I didn't think I was going to be able to get a blocker and the quarterback still has. The ball. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's like, you know, I get what people are saying and I certainly want the run game to be healthy um, and to be productive in terms of what the running backs do. But to, it, I think Roman even said this before, it'd be malpractice. Not to use the ball in the run game. It would literally be my practice. That is a great point. Uh, (laughs) Let's talk a little bit about the the offense the Ravens have been running because obviously they've been successful offensively, generally speaking. They're one of the highest scoring teams in the league. They're third in offensive DeVoe. No, it might be second in offensive DeVoe right now. And they might be fourth in scoring. Uh, But in any case, uh, they're doing it with the heaviest offense to play in the National Football League probably in decades, but definitely in the last six years as far as data is available to me. The 2019 Vikings had, I believe, approximately 2.0. And the reason I say I believe is because they have a lot of plays with 21 personnel where the 21 might not be a fullback. It might be a pony backfield. Hmm. Most of the rest of them, you can tell who's on the field and, and, and who's spread out and whatnot. But they had a lot of 21 where you can't really tell if it's a pony or not. So they probably were slightly below 2.0. The Ravens just had their most aggressive wide receiver game of the year with 2.15 heavies per play. And before that, they were at two, they're at 2.27 for the season. They were at 2.31 uh, coming into this game. So uh, this is the, you are watching it right now unfold before our eyes. The most absurd, not absurd, that's wrong because it's, it's tr- potentially extreme, uh, offense that we've seen in the NFL in, in just decades of, uh, you know, you probably have to go back to your the your dad's boxed, maybe your granddad's for, for a lot of you people, um, boxed 1960s football game, whatever that might have been, that would tell you that the standard defense includes only three defensive backs that, <laughs> that would have been the type of defense you'd be playing against what the Ravens offense uh, is. It just, it's just, it's extraordinary. Yeah, and it's kind of become like the perfect storm just in terms of the timing, right? With more of the the, the defenses in the league. Oh, okay. um, yeah, moving moving towards the two high shells and they want to play the Fangio 
um, stuff where, you know, you're, you're going to keep at least two guys back all the time or at least present that shell um, before you snap the ball and then you might rotate it or whatever. But it's almost like he saw this coming. Like, he said, hey, they're going to start playing lighter boxes because you have to make defending the pass a priority because it's what people are doing predominantly. So, you know what? I'm just going to put a bunch of big people out there and we're just going to run the ball at you. And to me, it's been kind of ironic that, OK, the defensive have started to shift away from the single high safety kind of Seahawks cover three style that kind of dominated, you know, ever since the Legion of Boom days. And I'd say probably the last two, probably, man, two might be too much, but like two, two and a half seasons, you're starting to see more of the Fangio, Staley stuff take over. Um, again, it's been here before. It's not anything new. It's all six. Tampa two. Football. Yeah. Right. Come back. And now the run game has gotten off to a slower start. Right. Than it has kind of in previous years. So it's like kind of ironic to me. The timing you know, of was like, hey, these are the defenses. This was designed to attack. And now it's kind of sputtering a little bit at the beginning versus when when they were doing more of the single high stuff and dropping an extra guy down the box. They were just wrecking that. Um, so it's kind of it's kind of ironic uh, how that happens. But I still think that it's the, like you said, it's, it's the ultimate zig or the ultimate zag to the yeah. zig, whichever end of that you want to be on. And one of those heavies is not the guy who I expected that it was going to be to start the season. I, well, <laughs> you, you, you go, go ahead and get right to it. I did not know that Josh Oliver was going to play as much as he has played going into the season. Now, uh, just just because it's documented, so people won't say, hey, he's just making this up. Uh, like a lot of us, we, we did a, uh, a roster prediction show going back, uh, and I had him making the roster. Uh, not because I foresaw any of this. Mm-hmm. I thought that because Kohler was going to be on IR, they were going to want to keep an extra body around because they were still working Boyle back, not 100% sure where he was at. But I said, you know what, that's just going to be a break in, in case, of, you know, break glass in case of emergency thing with Oliver. Boyle's going to be out there. I have been shocked yeah. by how that has played out. I did not expect that at all. So I expected the same sort of inactivity on a weekly basis from Oliver after he made the roster. I didn't have him making the roster either. He's one of the big surprises to me. But uh, these last two weeks, they've had Boyle back, and he was outsnapped 21-0 after 24-4 against the Pats. Uh, I'm sorry, that's, that's the Buffalo game. And they a, a Boyle had no offensive snaps for another game uh, yeah. in this one. So Oliver is the primary blocking tight end at this point. He's, he's given the Ravens a little bit as a receiver, but he's the primary blocking tight end. That's why he's in there. Uh, very rarely, I, I, I don't even remember seeing him split. He's probably been standing, and, and this is why we define our formations. So uh, one foot in front of the other as opposed to squat and, yeah. and, uh, and uh, done. So you know, it, it, he's a wide receiver on our chart when he shows up like that, because we use the apparent formation in, yeah. in, in, in that case. But uh, uh, he's he's really been near the line of scrimmage and ready to do something as a blocker, uh, pretty much play after play after play. And they're using him like Nick Boyle, and they're using him instead of Nick Boyle. I know. And when they traded for him, I thought he was another receiving type tight end. That was the pedigree yeah. that he had. I mean, he hadn't played much in Jacksonville, but coming out of college, it's kind of what he was. Yep. And so I'm thinking, okay, they're going to get another one of those kind of guys, pair him up with Andrews. That's not what he's been. <laughs> like you said, he's been the primary blocker. And Boyle, he's he's the limited snap that he's playing. They're on special teams. Yeah, he's, he's uh, it's unbelievable. But he even outsnapped likely 23-15 this last game. Now, th- that's not that unexpected because Oliver is a blocker. They want him in there for pretty much every run play. Uh, it's almost a tell, but it but likely now comes on the field in obvious passing situations. And if you actually look at the percentage of his snaps that are passes, you'll see it's ridiculously different between the two players. I looked at... 
at Boyle and Boyle and Oliver. Boyle's only had you know the, the four snaps. It was like sixty two percent of those were run plays, where it was for likely it was something like eighty five percent of the time when he was on, it was a pass play. Yeah. So and you might you might remember back to the the uh, the mini camp stuff. They they released some like behind the scenes videos, the coaches meeting, and Greg Roman said likely was going to have some of those Mark Andrews moments, right? <laughs> he's and he's been having them, but he's been having the other side of the Mark Andrews moments, which are hey, what the heck are you doing? More than oh wow, look at that great play. I think those are still to come, but he's kind of had some of those head scratchers more than than the other ones. But hey, that's all part of the rookie developmental mm-hmm. curve. I think people saw the preseason and we all got excited by that, but it was a, it's another great reminder of why the preseason is the preseason and not the regular season. You can easily get fooled by that stuff. If you don't really understand what you're looking at, I got fooled by it. I mean, I didn't think he was going to come in and do the same thing that he was doing in the preseason, but I'm like, Hey, they've got a viable, quote unquote, viable, viable weapon here. And uh, I still think they do, but you can tell that the wheels are spinning for him out there, like literally yeah. spinning, trying to process what's going on. What am I supposed to be doing? Where am I supposed to be? What it would take is for if Andrews got hurt, and boy, that better not happen or the Ravens season is over. But if Andrews did get hurt, likely we'll get a trial by fire. And I think he'd do very well. And 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 when I say that, I mean I think he'll catch a lot of balls. I think he'll make a lot of a lot on those. He'll get a lot more snaps. Um, he'll probably be very frustrating as a blocker from time to time in terms of, of what he actually accomplishes. Cause I think we've seen some of that already. Yeah. Uh, but I think that he has a, he has a chance to really have a, a, a big year. And that's true of a lot of these guys. I mean, Duvernay, it's just a matter of opportunity for him. He's, he's yeah. here and he's doing it right now. And they found a way to, to make him a viable receiving target viable. There it is that there's that word, a, good, <laughs> we can't a, get away a valuable, <laughs> a valuable receiving target. <laughs> uh, anyway, Get a couple more things, and we're gonna we're gonna hit the break here. Seventeen and three set and chip blockers in this game. Point sixty one, moderate number. Um, there was less need to protect, I believe, with uh, Stanley back in this game. Probably a little bit less need for them to protect Macario. The Macario didn't have the greatest game in terms of what actually happened, but uh, but there was a uh, you know they did mostly set blockers, and I think they were mostly picking up the extra rushers that were coming from linebacker rather than doing chips on the edges, which is where they've gotten a fair amount of value. So one of the things, I mean, I would just think one of the things I think the, I thought would have thought the Ravens would have wanted to do is use more chip blocking on um, Hendrickson in particular, because he's their super effective pass rusher, but Hubbard also because, Hey, he's a, he's a Ravens killer. That guy, Um, you know, to, to just try and, you know, put some, uh, remember me on his rib section. Yeah, yeah. And like you said, some, but not a lot. There's certainly been games where they've done it more um, yeah. on on other guys. Um, some of it is funny. I can picture like some of the opportunities where like JK was trying to do it, like launching himself at this guy and like kind of getting Olaid a little bit there. <laughs> but the other thing I think they do, they, they like all teams, they, they have a help system, you know, for, mm-hmm. for their tackles, whether it's chips or whatever. But I think the other thing that Roman does a pretty effective job of is those play action protections where you're pulling a guy like it's a run play, but he's coming across to block a guy on the edge. Now, look, that can go either way because uh, you're, you're, you're pulling a big body guy and you're putting him in a little bit more space against a rusher. And sometimes that cannot necessarily be great, but you're also trying to freeze that rusher, right. Into having to make a run pass read because he's yep. seeing a puller come at him. So he's like, wait a minute, this is run. And sometimes that can be enough. And sometimes they'll do, they'll do both. They'll, they'll use a play action protection. They'll pull a guy. He'll come across 
and they'll add a chip or, you know, kind of a nudge. I've heard them call it a nudge too, where it's not like a full chip. It's kind of like, hey, just, just kind of, you know, run into him on the way so out. Tee him like, up a little better. Yeah, don't launch yourself into him. It's kind of like yeah. run into him and it's, when you go out there. And sometimes it's just body presence. Sometimes it's not even physical contact. They'll just line a guy up there next to the tackle and you got to widen out or you got to go inside. You got to do something to account. Yeah, you, if, if you score offensive line play, one of the things you, you pick up is you try to count sets and chips. It's actually sometimes hard to count chip blocks. Because they do exactly what Michael is describing right now. They'll come right by the the the, the player, and there's no real contact. And you know, I'm, uh, Maureen and I were talking about: is it okay? Is that a chip block? Or he's trying to tee him up? Was he trying to just get him straight? Uh, I, I like chip blocks for the sake of chip blocks because I think they have a they they're they're like a two. Uh, you get a one when you get a nudge to re-tee up that player, and and sometimes they're better than a chip because they don't overcompensate the player, like yeah. pass to the inside. So sometimes yeah. you get more value out of it. And but the, the other ones you mentioned, these these phantom ones where they just kind of run by the guy, that has value too in setting up your player. So probably another way to get a one on that play. But uh, uh, but anyway, pardon me for for just liking the the traditional two hundred and twenty five pound chips in the midsection oh, of a. Oh, they're they're pretty yeah. when they're done well. They are pretty. <laughs> All right, Michael, fantastic first half of the show here. We're going to come back and it will not be another half of the show this long. I promise you folks, but uh, Michael Crawford and I just love to talk football and I really appreciate whenever I get an extended period and we're not going to, we're not going to, you know, not take advantage of this situation. So we'll be back in about two minutes and we're we're going to talk about the offensive line and talk about some individual players uh, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up for the night. Michael, one more time before we go, uh, you are at Abukari on Twitter. Make sure you follow Michael, and we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.